Hello! Welcome to Movie Culture! Today we are talking about Cars 3! Cars 3 was released in 2017 and is Pixar's 18th feature film. The movie was directed by Brian Fee. If it's been a minute since you've seen this movie, here's a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it recently, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip to the discussion. Now a veteran of the Piston Cup circuit, Lightning McQueen finds himself struggling against a new generation of high-tech race cars led by Jackson Storm. In a last-ditch attempt to remain racing, McQueen agrees to train under Cruz Ramirez. Cruz tries to teach Lightning the new school techniques, but he's resistant. Instead, he's more concerned with showing her the old-school training that his mentor, Doc Hudson, had taught him. As they bond, Cruz reveals that she had dreamed of being a race car, but felt too intimidated to start racing. They continue to train together, and with Doc Hudson's mentor, Smokey, but Lightning gets frustrated that he cannot beat Cruz in training sessions. When the big race arrives, Lightning McQueen starts out strong, but soon realizes he can't keep up with the speed that Jackson Storm has. Midway through the race, he swaps spots with Cruz, allowing her to take his place. Through a combination of new school technology and old school know-how, Cruz wins the race, and Lightning McQueen, satisfied, retires to continue mentoring Cruz. Oh yeah, back to this franchise. In this movie, the buses take over and the cars protest fossil fuels, Uh, never to drive again. I wish. (laughs) Honestly, it would have been a better movie. Yeah, so what did you think about this movie? Well, let's say that I think it had some interesting ideas that I didn't like. Great. But can we start with something I did like? Yes. Because there was one thing that I really liked about this movie. And that is Lightning McQueen's outfits. Oh, so good. I am being totally serious about this. Lightning McQueen, who just has like his red lightning paint for the whole first two movies. So basic. He wears a couple different things in this movie. First, he wears nothing, kind of. He gets like stripped of his paint. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's very strange. But actually, I kind of like that like, Oh, that's what he looks like when he's in the off season. That's, you know, it's a different side. You see that he has really taken down his walls. He's in kind of a different position. I kind of thought that that was a pretty cool character moment to see him totally out of his paint. Later, after he's got his paint back on and he's going back to the new racing facility and he's, you know, getting back on the track, then he gets this like new cool high speed super suit, which gives him like a new fresh sheen. It buffs him out a little bit. I thought that was really cool. It's like, oh, nice. Lightning McQueen getting with the times, new fashion, looking cool. I like yeah. that. I have never liked cars in any way, mm-hmm. but I did think that he did look cool in his new red outfit. Yeah. He looked metallic. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. But Tay, The third time is my favorite because at the end of the movie, after, you know, all the stuff and after he's given up his own race career, I guess, and he's being a mentor full time, there's a big reveal where he shows up to a training session with his new mentee and he, instead of wearing the red, is wearing Doc Hudson's navy blue and honestly chills. (laughs) What an incredible homage to his mentor. That relationship between Doc Hudson and Lightning McQueen was pretty light in the first movie. It wasn't clear why they bonded so well. And then in the second movie, Doc is dead. And this movie is like however many years in the future and Doc is still dead. But now Lightning McQueen is mourning him for the first time. So it this series is messy. (laughs) Yeah, it's unclear from the other movies in this series why this relationship is an important one. But over the course of this movie, we see Lightning over and over really want to talk to Doc, really want to get his advice, really want, really need him as a mentor. And over the course of the movie, he learns to take Doc's place. He learns what was important to Doc and how he can not just use Doc's advice, 
but learn to emulate his mentor. And when he puts on Doc's colors at the end, the navy blue, with the lettering down the side that says the fabulous Lightning McQueen mimicking the fabulous Hudson Hornet, honestly, I thought it was really cool. It was by so much my favorite part of this movie. It was a good moment. My problem with that is just that these are cars and therefore really the only distinguishing factor between a lot of them is their color. Yeah. So to me, Lightning McQueen is basically unidentifiable when he's changed his color. Yeah, he's a red car. That's his whole thing. That's his only thing that makes him Lightning McQueen. And that's a great point because Cruz, who Lightning mentors over the course of the movie and ends up becoming, you know, the new race car who Lightning McQueen mentors, she gets signed by Dynaco at the end of the movie. And we know from the first movie, oh, being signed by Dynaco, they always have the best race cars. We know that because we're very embedded in the cars world. <laughs> But of course, Tay, you got to wear the Dynaco blue. But that Dynaco blue makes her look too much like Sally. So instead, she just has yellow with like blue trim. How uncomfortable that if they turned that yellow car character into a blue car, she would just be the same character design as Lightning McQueen's girlfriend. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is this movie about Lightning McQueen leaving his boomer wife for a millennial Latina woman? Yes. It's so uncomfortable. I don't want that to be it. I mean, part of that is hard because cars don't age like people since they're cars. So let's talk about this because that was pretty messy in this movie. Just the, the logic of cars and what a car lifespan is in this world is so deeply confusing. And it was fine kind of in the first movie because whatever well they didn't think about it right and you then, understand that there are some old cars and they can't drive as fast as new cars that's fine right and it was like where did lightning mcqueen come from who cares but it doesn't really matter right but this movie is all about aging and dying and i have i have no idea what it means that doc died yeah because his mentor is still alive and his mentor says at one point that he was a runner in Prohibition era, meaning this car is 100 years old. Yeah, I seriously have no idea. Also, the movie talks about both Cruz and Lightning McQueen coming up in the scene, what their first races were like. And that begs the question, are these cars born in a serious way, right? How do they start doing what they're supposed to do? Are these cars not machines? We know that they can replace parts, right? We know that from cars too. They can replace engines, all that stuff. But wasn't Lightning McQueen built to be a race car, literally born to be a race car? Right. I imagine that he came from a factory and doesn't have a family. None of them ever talk about parents. No. So presumably they do just come out of the factory. But let's say it's a family, but it is a race car family, right? Lightning McQueen is a race car. If he was that make and model, but doing anything else, it wouldn't make any sense. You don't see any race cars or cars built like race cars doing anything else in this right. world. Josh. What? They do talk about parents. That Italian one from Cars 2. Like, oh, he is rival a grandmother. Has a, has a mom and a grandmother in Italy. Oh, yeah. A couple. Oh, my God. A lot of the Italian cars have grandmothers. Oh, my God. In Italy? They are born. But in America, they come from made. factories. Oh my God. That's such. That's so dark. Yeah. That is such a thoughtful portrayal of American capitalism against European capitalism. Wow. Cars 3 coming in with the late capitalism takes. So, Cruz, is Cruz a race car or is she just a regular car who can go really fast? Why? I know this sounds silly, but this is what this movie is about. And the movie has to have logical consistency within itself. And this mm -hmm. movie really does not. Like, what makes these cars die? What makes these cars be who they are? It would make sense for the car's world to be essentially a caste system because you are only capable of doing the things that your body allows. Mac is a truck. Mm -hmm. He is a specific hauler truck. He can't be anything else, right? I guess he could haul something else aside from a race car, but like he can't be a race car. Mater can't be a race car. Mater is a tow truck. There is this caste system 
And this movie doesn't pay attention to that in regards to the, again, logical coherence of the movie. Look, this franchise tried to take inanimate machines and transfer it on to a human story. And at so many points, it just really didn't work. Yeah. But they just kept going anyway. And at least in the first two movies, they moved around the human parts of it enough that it didn't really matter. But this one, the detours around the humanity of the movie go so far that they just take you outside of it. Right. In the first movie, it's kind of fun to think about do cars have hands and how did that car pick up that sticker? But it doesn't really matter. Right. In this movie, it's really distracting to just not understand the logistics of aging. And this entire movie is about aging. Yeah. Couldn't Doc just get a new engine? Right. What happened to Doc? Yeah. And another point on this, cars don't have genders. But in this movie, there are clearly girl cars and boy cars. And I understand that this movie is trying to talk about sexism, but it is so strange Because again, in the first movie, it's like, yeah, there's a girl car. That's so Lightning McQueen can like be sexist and have a romance. Classic female character tropes. Mm. But in this movie, again, it's just confused. Oh, are we talking about the sexism now? Yeah. Okay. So on the one hand, I'm happy. I'm happy that the Cars franchise tried to do a sexism thing. That they tried to address it. I, I guess that's good. Good effort. Good effort. How did they do? They did kind of fine. Okay, how so? Well, again, because cars don't have genders inherently because they're not actual living beings. Yeah. We don't actually know what gender a car is unless the car is talking and you can identify the voice. Well, remember that Sally has a lower back tattoo. Yeah, that's weird. We don't have to talk about that. But it's not necessarily true to say that none of the racers are female cars because we don't hear all of them speak. Yeah. But the ones that we do hear speak have male sounding voices. Yes. So it seems that the racing world is made up primarily of male cars. Mm -hmm. That's been true for the first two movies as well. Yeah. So this movie, we have a new character introduced as Lightning McQueen's trainer at first and as a bit of an aside it's notable that the second most important character in this movie is an entirely new character that we're meeting for the first time yeah it's weird compared to toy story 3 where we know almost every character and we have established these characters so they're able to build upon them and we feel like we're getting closer to them and we understand them even better as the movies go on. Not to mention Cars 2 or Finding Dory, where they take the sidekick character and put them at the center of the movie. Right. I think that it does say something about this franchise in general, that they had to bring an entirely new character in because their original characters just aren't necessarily strong enough. Yeah. But anyway, so this character, Cruz, is Lightning McQueen's trainer at first. And she's real young, so she makes fun of him for being old constantly. That's her main personality point. It's clear that the movie really wants us to find this irritating, but it was kind of funny. She's like a fun Zumba instructor. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But she's around mostly to train Lightning McQueen for the first half of the movie. And only in the midpoint turn, halfway through, we find out that she wanted to be a racer herself and felt like she couldn't break into the business. So she switched to training instead. Yeah. And she gives this monologue, which I think that we should just play if I can find it. Ask me if I got up in the dark to run laps before school every day. Ask me if I saved every penny to buy a ticket to the races when they came to town. Ask me if I did that so that I could be a trainer someday. Ask me. Did you? No. I've wanted to become a racer forever. Because of you. I used to watch you on TV, flying through the air. You seemed so fearless. Dream small, Cruz. That's what my family used to say. Dream small or not at all. 
They were just trying to protect me. But I was the fastest kid in town, and I was going to prove them wrong. What happened? When I got to my first race, I figured it out. What? That I didn't belong. The other racers looked nothing like me. You know, they were bigger and stronger and so confident. And when they started their engines, that was it. I knew I'd never be a racer. I just left. It was my one shot, and I didn't take it. In the first half of this monologue, it's kind of exciting because you realize at that point that they're actually going to address sexism. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool. So she's saying that the other cars were bigger and stronger and she knew that she didn't fit in. But the problem with this monologue that she gives is that it's very much focused on her feeling like she wasn't strong enough and that it's it's focused so much on what's in her head and her own self-rejection. And that's a very real part of sexism in our society is that women mm-hmm. are trained to feel like they don't fit because they don't see role models of them fitting and because they are told for their whole life that they don't belong in certain fields. Yeah. And so that's a very real part of it. The problem is that there's a lot more to it. It's not just women walking into spaces and saying, oh, there's no other women here. I guess I don't belong. I'll just turn around. Yeah. And that's essentially what Cruz says at the end of her monologue when she says that this was her one shot and she didn't take it. Mm -hmm. And what this line does is basically take this whole system of oppression and her not being able to break into an industry that is designed not to let her in. And it's putting that on her shoulders. Yeah. Because she just self-rejected and that was it. That was the problem. Yeah. And I'm glad that they address a part of it, but it just felt so limited. And even as this movie goes on, we see Storm, who is Lightning McQueen's main rival in this movie. The new young gun, new fast type of car. Right. And Storm is being very sexist to Cruz and telling her, oh, you're just a fan of mine and you you know you don't belong here. Yeah. And it's very much this cartoon sexist. And everyone else, all the other cars, are so happy that Cruz is there. And they're, they're like, hey, Cruz, you're one of us. But it's yeah. this one villainous sexist guy. And then once he's out of the picture, then everything's fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no system to speak of. It's just a few bad apples. So I think that in some ways, I think that they did a good job. Self-rejection is a real thing that women face. There are these more cartoony sexists for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think that this movie fell into the trap that is really very common to see, which is To translate a system of oppression into a handful of individuals and make that the problem. And once these few individuals are taken care of, then everything is fixed. And of course, when you make the system into a series of individuals, it can also be fixed by a few individuals. Right. And that brings us to Lightning McQueen, because his role in this movie is to mentor Cruz and to show her that she can be successful something that she wouldn't have known without him showing her the way. And I'll say, I didn't love Lightning McQueen in this movie. Through the first two movies, I didn't like him because he had a bad character. He was selfish. He was arrogant. He wasn't focused. There were a lot of things I didn't enjoy about him. I liked the version of his character in this movie more, but it was totally different from the jump. All of a sudden, he's like an old, affable, you know, veteran on the circuit. And this is just not a character that has been established at all. Like, I'm glad that Lightning McQueen is that way, but they act like he's the same character and got the same stuff in him. And the two don't jive because what we know about him as a character, where we've seen his arcs go so far, 
is very different than what's happening in this movie and what this movie pretends has always been the case for him. Yeah, I think that's kind of true. I think part of it is that this movie just figures that we will accept that it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. And so Lightning McQueen has changed, which certainly could be true. But when you are doing a franchise, it does feel like if there are major moments that change a character, Mm -hmm. it's nice to see those moments. And it's nice to have a through line regardless that we should be able to recognize this as an older, more mature version of a character we knew instead of a fundamentally different character. Yeah, it felt like we should have seen a little bit more reflection from Lightning McQueen of the way that he treated other people when he was coming up. Because it kind of did. It kind of talked about how he used to be the rookie, but now there's a new rookie and he's the one being pushed out. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't much reflection on he was a really arrogant, rude, obnoxious rookie. Yeah. And he made other people feel really bad. He was never making friends among the other racers. That wasn't something he ever had any intention of doing. And to see him have a whole group of friends, you know, arrogant kids don't turn into humble adults. On the other hand, we did see some of an arc in Cars 1 with him helping the other cars at the last race and then having some friends in Radiator Springs. Yeah, I mean, we know people like Lightning McQueen, but I don't know that we know that Lightning McQueen likes anyone else. Yeah, I think part of the problem with having Cars 2 in the middle is that rather than furthering his character development to move from who he was in Cars 1 to who he's supposed to be in Cars 3, it regressed him a little bit. They're missing a movie. We don't need another Cars movie. We don't need one, but I'm not saying a Cars 4. I'm saying a Cars 2 and a half. Look, I don't know if this movie ever should have been full stop, but for this movie to work, they needed a previous movie about Lightning McQueen at the top, right? I'm thinking about the Rocky franchise, which I actually think is a decent comparison. First, Rocky is an up-and-coming boxer. He is an amateur, and he competes against the professionals. And he doesn't beat the professionals, but he learns that he can hang with the professionals. And then in the second movie, he does beat the professionals. He actually wins. He becomes the greatest boxer in the world. And then he stays at the top of the world, right? He stays there. He's the greatest. He, you know, conquers communism and ends the Cold War. He conquers racism. You know, the Rocky series is really weird and wild. But then he gets old and a new generation comes up. And that gets to be the end of his series. And I do think that for that end to make sense, we do need more time with Lightning McQueen at the top. Maybe that's what Cars 2 is supposed to do. And that theme is just a little underdeveloped in Cars 2. But we should see him in Cars 2 be affable. Maybe if in Cars 2, he's really buddy-buddying with all of the other race cars from around the world. And Mater feels left out because of that. And that's why there's tension between them. Maybe this new Lightning McQueen makes some more sense. But instead, it just feels like we missed a major part of his character growth. Yeah. But we all know that Cars 2 is a perfect movie. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't need to change at all. This is such a wild take. (laughs) But there was some stuff you liked about Lightning, right? I liked that he learned to care about someone else. Okay, well, that's a start. I do think that we're being a little bit unfair to Lightning. Because I think that he has shown moments of character growth before and i think that the climax of cars one was really moving where he learned that there was more to life than winning but it does feel like he's just has to learn the same lesson in every single movie so every time that he gets to a nice climax in cars one and then in cars two it doesn't really matter because in the beginning of the next movie he's just arrogant and the only thing he wants to do is win again but that's because his arcs in both of those previous movies don't have anything to do about reducing his own arrogance they have to do with understanding that there's a way to win that's different than the way that he previously thought as this movie is also right the first movie Mm -hmm. is all about him saying i am speed and then actually you can win with 
technique and craft and by listening to your mentors. And then this movie is about basically the exact same thing. We had a big problem in the first movie about Lightning McQueen not having an arc, not ever realizing that there was more to other people or other cars than he had originally assumed, right? We had this whole conversation about how he didn't change how he judged other cars. He just realized that there could be the traits he valued in unexpected places. Yeah, in the first movie, he learns that he doesn't have to win by literally being in first place. He wins by being the most popular and famous. Yes. And then in the second movie, he is in first place. Yeah. And he learns that being in first place is pretty good, but it's really good if you can be in first place and have good friends. But being in first place is still absolutely essential. And in this movie, he learns that he doesn't have to be in first place anymore. He just needs to be the mentor of someone who is in first place and then also still be in first place because of because they shared the title or something. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about this last race, because this, to be honest, did not make a lot of sense. Like McQueen makes a bet that if he wins this race, he gets to keep racing. He never has to retire. And if he loses, he will retire. And he starts the race, but he's not doing so well. And he realizes in the middle that actually it should be Cruz who races on his behalf. So they like hot swap during a pit stop. All of a sudden, Cruz is just like racing for him and she ends up winning. This is so bizarre. Yeah. He has this flash of realizing that this is his last race and thus his last chance to give someone else a chance. That doesn't make any sense. It's just very strange that he thinks that this is Cruz's only opportunity to be a racer. Especially if he is her mentor. Right. Like, everyone's going to want the next car mentored by Lightning McQueen. Yeah. And he just, he springs this on her Totally, she's not prepared at all. She doesn't expect it. Yeah. It's very reminiscent of A Star is Born when Bradley Cooper is like, hey, Lady Gaga, you have to come on stage now and sing in front of all these people. And she's like, what? And then she just has to do it because it's the moment. And then the man is putting this pressure on her and is like, this is your only chance that I will give you. Yeah. Also, it doesn't make sense from an arc perspective. Like, I wanted Lightning McQueen to lose that race. I wanted him to be in the race, to have given it everything he could, to lose, and then, in reflection on his loss, to realize that there was more to life than him racing, he could be a mentor also. I think that would have been a nice arc. And that happening, like, split second in the middle of a race, it just didn't make any sense. It didn't have any emotional weight. So what happens that propels him into giving Cruz this shot is that he overhears on the mic Cruz's boss being sexist to her and telling her, leave the racetrack, go do your job. And she's like, oh, okay. And then he's like, you definitely don't belong in a racetrack. And then Lightning McQueen is listening to this and realizes that he needs to be the savior of this woman of color. My God. Yeah. There's something that makes me uncomfortable about this being Lightning McQueen's arc and and the big demonstration of his generosity Mm -hmm. is that he is helping this female car. It just very much frames it as if she wouldn't have been able to be successful without him and she would just never have this shot without him and she needed him. And it's this very false empowerment message where, yes, she wins and she's going to be hugely successful now and she's very good at this and she's great. I ac- I actually like her character a lot. Yeah. But it's it's always because of men. It's because the white man was generous enough to gift this success onto the woman of color. And I don't like that. It's confusing. It's problematic. It's uninteresting. Even though we like Cruz, 
And I'll shout out Christina Alonzo, the comedian who voices her. And her stand-up comedy in itself is really fantastic. Check that out. But it's a very odd moment, both for the problematic sexist reasons and from a story perspective. It feels like the creative team couldn't decide what this movie is really about, so they changed it a bunch of different times. Like, if they wanted this movie to be about Lightning McQueen empowering her and creating the conditions for someone else's success, they could have done that. They could have made that movie. But that wasn't what this was. Right. And also, there's something weird about the fact that it seems like Lightning McQueen is not going to win this race. If he stayed in it, it yeah. based on what we have seen previously about how there is just a limit to how fast he can go. And even though he learns all these new tricks, he's still too slow. He's slower than Cruz. He's slower than Storm. He can't win. Yeah. And he recognizing that he can't win halfway through. So tapping in this woman that he knows is faster than him. It's not actually putting her in a position to succeed especially when her win also counts as his win. Yeah. So, Doesn't seem like he knows that, but... But the effect is that he does end up using her <laughs> to win. Yeah, her success gives him what he wanted. Which would be nice in an emotional way, but is weird in a literal he won the race because she won it for him way. Kind of a profiteering vibe. Ah. <laughs> I will say that what Pixar is doing in this, you know, let's put a woman in midstream so she can fix things right at the end. It's kind of what they did with Brenda Chapman on the original Cars movie where they brought her in too late to do anything just to like fix some stuff up at the end. Oh my god, if that if Cars 1 was after they brought in someone to fix the sexism, I don't want to know what it was like before. Anyway, it makes sense that this is what Pixar thinks female empowerment is. Yeah. It's also meta in a lot of ways about feeling pushed out, mm -hmm. like you were the big shot once, but now there's these newcomers yeah. who are rising up. And this is a Lasseter movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's his last movie. It's his last movie. It's in a franchise that is the least popular of Pixar. I mean, the mm -hmm. Cars 2, previous to this, is by far the least popular Pixar movie. A, ridiculous. <laughs> Ununderstandable why. B, can we talk about that for like 30 seconds? Mm -hmm. Are we just going to ignore the events of Cars 2 entirely in this movie? It seems like the strategy was, oh, people didn't like that. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. Which makes it a very bizarre viewing experience because Mater is sometimes just on screen and it's kind of just like, is no one gonna acknowledge that Mater was just a spy? Yeah. If I was Mater, I would talk about how I was a spy literally all the time. It makes no sense that he's ever on screen and not talking about how he's a spy. This is some Cars 2 erasure. <laughs> I mean, what we know about Mater is that he would be talking about how he was a spy all the time. Remember when I was a spy? <laughs> I did like that in this movie, they made Mater the worst, but this time he was annoying to the bad guy as like a distraction. Yeah, that was one of the skills that he learned when he was a spy. Yeah, he weaponized his annoyingness. <laughs> okay, back to Cars 3. It feels almost like too much insight into John Lasseter's angst mm -hmm. in a way that makes me feel like I wish not to be that much in Lasseter's head. Yeah, it's a great point. But it feels very angry at some points. It feels very resentful of the younger generations of the way that the world is changing with new technology, which also, if we are thinking about Lasseter, is ironic because Pixar was a whole new technology. Yeah, it started computer-generated animation. Right. But it, it feels antagonistic towards youth and technology and change. That's a really good segue into what I thought the theme of this movie is, which was that stats are ruining sports. Oh. <laughs> I think that's what this movie is really saying. And- 
look, that's a little bit of a broader thing about how technology is ruining society. But there's this grumpy old man argument for about the past 10 years that increased information and statistics has been ruining sports specifically. And again, in a broader context of increased technology and efficiency across the entire economy. But this started after Moneyball came out, the book about the 2003 Oakland Athletics who are using statistics to win baseball games. And now there are so many statistics about baseball. It used to be that you could just calculate, you know, strikeouts and hits and home runs. But now you can calculate swing angle and launch velocity and spin rate on the baseball. There are so many really, really interesting nuanced things that some people have argued take the heart out of the game. They take the ambiguity out of the game. You know, we have precise measures about greatness now. We know who the best players are, as opposed to getting to argue for hours, you know, who really was the best? Because it used to be legendary, right? Players used to be legends. You couldn't see them. And now everything is known. There are no known unknowns in in sports anymore, really. This movie impersonates that in a couple different ways. First is the sports analyst, who I think is supposed to appear annoying, but I don't find annoying. She's the one who's (laughs) heavily into statistics. She talks about the cars understanding the best lines they can take to have the most efficient race and how they can have top speed and training regimens that really work for them. And she gives these kind of unnecessarily precise indications of their odds of winning That shows to me how these writers don't understand how the probability in sports statistics actually work. Yeah. At one point, she was talking about a percentage chance of winning. And then she said, the numbers don't lie. And you were raging. Yeah. If Lightning McQueen has a 1.2% chance of winning the race, that means that he has a 1.2% chance, not that he has no chance. The numbers don't lie. It means that one out of, you know, something like 80 times he'll win the race. And maybe this is the one out of 80 times. Chances are it's not. But, you know, let's remember what probabilities mean and not be like so mad at the people who say what the probabilities are because you don't understand what probabilities mean. I mean, one percent is basically zero, which means there's no chance. No. (laughs) You're legit annoyed. (laughs) We can have things that are more likely and less likely. And we can understand that sometimes the less likely things don't happen. And that brings us back to baseball, where people hit the ball on average one third of the time. One third is less than 50%. And it's not like every time someone gets a hit, people go crazy. They're like, you said he had a 66% chance of not getting a hit. Yeah, two times he didn't get a hit. But one time, okay, I got to tone this back down. 30% chance means that there is a chance, but 1% chance means there is no chance. Anyway. I'm going to start giving you the silent treatment. (laughs) So stats are ruining sports. What else is this movie about? Okay, so stats are ruining sports. Is that a thing that the movie touches on? Or is that truly the whole theme of the entire movie? Look, I don't think it's the theme because it has nothing to do with the characters or any arcs or the story at all. But to me, it is certainly the message that the creators are most interested in getting across. It is the thing they harp on the most. It is the fundamental premise, I think, of this movie that new technologies in sports, new information, new statistics are ruining it for the good old cars like Lightning McQueen who just want to race and they want to get outside. They want to get their tires dirty. They want to do things the right way. And the stats, the information, it's ruining that. It feels to me like that is what the movie, that is what the creators really care about. Okay. Well, I'm going to broaden that out a little bit Mm -hmm. because I think that it's not just what they're saying about sports. I think that they're saying that generally that, The younger generation needs to touch grass and go outside and that they are too reliant on technology and that that technology is ruining the way that we are supposed to live. Yeah. 
And I don't, I think that is just a statement about how the filmmakers see life in general, not just sports. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. It is even within the conversation about sports, it is a complaint about broader society. Even if the people who say it don't necessarily realize that it is just an ageist, anti-generational understanding. And honestly, I think it comes from a fear of progress and technology. Yeah, I think so. I And I think that actually the themes about aging and feeling like you were once at the top and no longer and you feel like you're being pushed out of your industry and you're at a life transition point, maybe even against your will. Mm -hmm. I think that is very interesting and that is worthwhile and that is a real theme and idea and experience to explore. But my problem a little bit is firstly that Lightning McQueen is hard to relate to. Yeah. We've talked at length about why we don't like this character, but when he is feeling upset about not being the best and he's facing the horrible outcome of having to retire with his millions and his fame and his adoring fans. Yeah. It is a little bit hard to feel much sympathy for that plight. Uh, so I and I don't know how they would get around that in this movie because Lightning McQueen is the most famous athlete in this world. He's potentially the most famous car in the world because it seems like racing is the most high profile form of entertainment that they have. Look, honestly, I think this is a movie for people who are in the same position. And when you're in that position, you don't consider the successes you've had. You consider what's happening in the present and the fear you have about an unknown in the future. What happens after you retire or leave the workforce or how will you be able to adapt to what's new? I do think that is valuable in a broader context. But what this movie highlights is that behind that fear or something that undermines that fear is that they've had a lot of success and power. Lightning McQueen has had so much success. And in this moment, he isn't thinking about that success. But we all know that it's there. So it makes sense that he's worried about what happens next or that he's fearful or upset even that he doesn't get to continue racing. But from a younger perspective, from the younger generation, it doesn't make any sense why he can't look back and think about the success that he's had and feel grateful for that. Why he always needs more, more, more and can't let anyone else have any. I guess I wish that we had seen just a little bit more depth from Lightning McQueen. Mm-hmm. Because I think that this is a really internal experience. It's it's facing the unknown, like you were saying. And it's it's mourning the person that you used to be yeah. and the status that you used to have and the life that you thought that you would always have. And that is an experience that I think is really meaningful to see in a movie. But instead, we saw a lot more of this young generation constantly telling McQueen that he's old and mm -hmm. you're rusty and you're slow and, oh my gosh, Grandpa, you're ancient. And it felt like the movie was very focused on the external of this experience, the external of what other people think and what other people say. Yeah. And we just didn't get much of the actual emotions and the depth of it. It wasn't a movie about aging gracefully, which I think would have been a really interesting movie. And I actually think could have fit into this franchise really well. It was instead a movie about get these kids off my lawn. Right. Which is fascinating, right? When we think about the fact that this is a kid's movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That it's so antagonistic to the generation that it is supposed to be primarily for. And that the creators think that those two things are the same. They think that growing old gracefully and understanding your current situation 
fundamentally involves being upset at the younger generation. Yeah. Although, of course, this movie is not really about Lightning McQueen. Because I think it's really about Cruz and the relationship between Lightning and Cruz. And Lightning does find a way to bridge this divide, right? Yes. Which brings me to my theme, which is that mentorship is the secret sauce of life. Shout out. (laughs) Your dad's favorite phrase. Dad, if you listen to this, let us know. And if you don't let us know, we'll know you didn't listen. We're just going to keep doing this with your family members just as a test. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) If the question that this movie raises is, how do you age gracefully? Then the answer is by mentoring the next generation. Yeah. And I think that that's a really nice idea. Yeah. Again, I don't love the way that that actually happened with this final race being so messy. Mm -hmm. But... I like that as a general theme. Yeah. And I like the idea of bridging this generation war that we seem to have found ourselves in. Yeah. I mean, after hearing my takes about what the boomers are saying about baseball, I think it's pretty clear how we're being a little antagonistic also. (laughs) I, I like the idea that we don't have to make the older generation into caricatures just as they don't have to make the younger generation into caricatures. We can just be people with varying experiences and contexts for the world that hopefully sometimes can help each other exist in this world. And in the best case scenario, the younger generation can use the wisdom of the older generation, both from Lightning McQueen to Doc Hudson to Smokey, who was Doc Hudson's mentor, and how you can use all of this generational learning and continue to grow with it. And if you learn from past generations and you have an accumulation of knowledge and you understand not just the new technology, because it is important that you understand the new technology. No one's versed in the new training and the statistics as well as Cruz is. But you need to have that in addition to the learning of previous generations. And that's what gives Cruz at the end the advantage over the newer race cars who only care about the present. That's a really nice lesson. And maybe I haven't been giving this movie enough credit because the movie does say that, which means Mm -hmm. that there are people on the creative team who know it. And even though it seems at points like they're saying it's the old lessons that are important, not the new stuff, at the end, the victory is won by the person who brings the two together. And I think that is the path forward, is to say it's not A or B, it's got to be both. And if you've got both, that's clearly going to be the best thing. Yeah, I really like that. I think that this movie was not as good as it could have been. And I don't like a lot of the ways that they handled certain themes. But... I did like the ideas that they brought in. And I think that this idea specifically, they did pull together at the end. But there is one thing, as I'm saying that, that I am thinking about, which comes back to scouting baseball players. Because we have all this new information now, and that has replaced a lot of the old information. And maybe what this movie is saying is, you've got to join the old and the new, and that's how you get the best. But also... Sometimes the old information is bad and harmful and sometimes even actively problematic. There's a lot of stuff about old baseball players them that's like, how attractive is this 19-year-old's girlfriend? Because if he's got an ugly girlfriend, that means he doesn't have any confidence. And if he doesn't have confidence, that means he can't hit a curveball. Is that a real That's a real anecdote. That is a real serious anecdote. Like, I'm not making this up. It's obviously disgusting and ridiculous. But that's something that people were saying not 70 years ago, but 20 years ago. Wow. So, yes, you know, learn how to drive on dirt roads. That helps you. But also understand what past knowledge was actively harmful and be discriminating about that. Sometimes the past isn't good. Sometimes that stuff doesn't really help. Sometimes it actively hurts. That's very true. And of course, the people who were saying that, they never want to admit that that stuff wasn't working then. So 
again, we run into this problem. Maybe the new stuff on its own does really work. But of course, John Lasseter in this position as an elder statesman, as some other cars say to McQueen, will never admit that maybe the new stuff is all you really need to know. Especially when the old stuff is John Lasseter, who we know created a toxic, unsafe work environment. Something you said in the middle of this podcast is my biggest takeaway about this movie, which is Lightning McQueen has a history, a long track record of arrogance and toxicity and is very successful throughout that. And honestly, perhaps because of it. And at the end of his career, he believes that by empowering a single person, by empowering a single woman of color in his field at the very end of his career, he thinks that all of this can be forgotten. This is luckily, I would say, the last time that we on this podcast will talk about John Lasseter, which is difficult because he has been so intertwined with Pixar, right? He founded Pixar. He did all the original movies. He in this world has been incredibly successful, but also leaves behind a terrible legacy. Mm -hmm. I think the existence of our podcast is a case that you can separate the art from the artist, as we've done for most of these movies. But when the art is the artist expressing themselves and trying to secure their own legacy, when it is about legacy, you have to consider them in tandem. I would say that I don't know that it's separating art and artist so much as, well, I think that every movie and every piece of art is the artist trying to express themselves and put out a perspective on the world, whether that is something that they are doing consciously or subconsciously. Mm. And I think that that's why we're doing this and that's what we're trying to do. Not necessarily to separate the art and the artist and not necessarily to always think of them exactly intertwined, but to pay attention to the biases that come into these stories Mm. and how that works and how to unravel those biases a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think that sets us up for next week really nicely because we'll continue these conversations about memory and legacy next week when we watch Coco. Oh, Coco. I'm so excited to watch Coco again and to talk about it. Yeah. So we will see you next week. Please review our podcast on Apple Podcasts if you can. We really appreciate it. It does make a difference for us. And thanks for listening. 